if you go and learn sales first, you can do anything you want. You can be an entrepreneur, you can be a marketer, you can be whatever you want to be. Because selling is, at least for me, a core part of everything that I do. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Welcome to the Selling with Love podcast. I'm here with an incredible guest, Barrett King, who's a senior manager, go-to-market strategy, global partner, ecosystem man at a company that I have so much love for, HubSpot. Now, for those of you who, well, actually, none of you would know this, but if you did work with me, then you would know this. I was the biggest HubSpot geek within Mindvalley ever. Some people even thought that I was being paid under the table by HubSpot for the amount of ways that I was promoting it, suggesting it, and trying to bring it within Mindvalley's ecosystem. And the reason that was happening is because they had built such an incredible product with a really amazing way of marketing it and selling it that I just absolutely loved couldn't help myself from becoming a raving fan. I'm so excited to have Barrett join us today because he's actually worked so much in building sales educational system, training people in the ways of marketing, demand generation, leadership, developing his team, and has over a decade of experience in sales as well. And now he's actually working at bringing a ton of partners into the HubSpot ecosystem, a thought leader in himself. And I'm so excited to have him speak about something that I think most of us neglect when it comes to sales. Very clear that sales can be, hey, we have clients, we want to exchange money for a product or service, that's where sales happen. But where are other areas in business that sales needs to happen? And guess what? It expands way beyond the financial transaction. I'm so excited to have him share with us here today. Barrett, welcome to the show. I am super fired up to be here. I have the longest title, apparently. I heard you spell that whole thing out. I appreciate (laughs) the intro, though. And actually, for listeners, we were paying you under the table. You have to be honest about that. It's Come the on, real man. So, no, it's great to be here. It really is. Well, you do have a great partnership program where you can get paid for promoting HubSpot. Unfortunately, I didn't follow those steps. And in essence, I just became a raving fan that just liked to promote. And, you know, in your case, I love how you've taken what you've done in the sales world, but now you're doing it with internal training. You're actually selling a lot of people into, you know, developing themselves, growing themselves, and recruiting them as partners. And I want to kind of kick it off there. I've already hinted towards it where a lot of us assume sales is only happening between a client, product, or service exchange for money. Where have you seen the most interesting places to develop sales methodologies that often gets ignored? That's an interesting question. You know, it's funny, my job right now, long title aside, I'm part of at least is a a global perspective on how we think about building an ecosystem of the future. So that sounds buzzy and cool. What it really means is I work with a boat ton of different people. I mean, a significantly cross-functional team. And so when I think about my core sales skills, I spent years in frontline sales. I was working in, in um, you know, building partners, but really helping them to go to market with our platform. So that meant sales, that meant sales training, that meant you know, go-to-market strategy and whatnot, messaging, et cetera. But what I do every day is sales because what I'm doing is sitting in a room with you know, a marketer, with a sales leader, with a you know, CS leader, product leads, et cetera. And we're talking about how do we make changes? How do we grow? How do we develop a program tomorrow? And with change comes a little bit of selling. And in fact, there's this maybe tongue in cheek comment I would make, but like I sell all day long. I'm very intentional about it. I'm very aware of it. But my job is to certainly establish a foundation in terms of the strategy that we're going to go to market with, but then make sure that I do sell it into the business, into the organization, the teams around me. And so when I think about what I've done 
again, I was a, this may sound self-gratuitous, not meant to, but you know, P club rep and sold for years. I was the first head of sales training for partner. I've been around sales as a core job to your point for the better part of a decade or more. And I don't think I was very conscious of it until the last couple of years, how much that just really is a part of everything that we do to the point where like, if you ask my wife, you know, she would say, I sell it everything. I sell, you know, my in-laws about going and doing something on the weekend. I sell the like pizza guy on, you know, putting a, a pizza in a little bit longer. Like just, it's my personality. And I think that inherently, like a great advice early on in my career from a really, really smart CRO. And she said, fundamentally, if you go and learn sales first, you can do anything you want. You can be an entrepreneur, you can be a marketer, you can be whatever you want to be. Because selling is, at least for me, a core part of everything that I do. Well, we are cut from the same cloth, sir. That is exactly what I advocate for people to understand. But yet we have such a negative association with sales. We're assuming it's the used car salesman that's being sleazy. And that's kind of the image that's burned into the back of the minds of most people. I have a very different idea about what sales is. And I do agree with you. It is everywhere. But I think there's a huge level of empathy that comes from being good at sales because you're actually speaking a language that is necessary for people to understand what you're trying to provide value to them for. So I'd be curious to know, when you got started in sales, did you see a lot of this negative association with sales? And did you have to do a lot of work within an organization to change the culture to be more accepting of what it is? Yeah, it's interesting because I've been in tech for most of my, I'd say, mature sales career. Prior to that, I was in restaurants. Right after college was like 08, and that was when the job kind of market, if you will, collapsed. And so it was just naturally what I did. And I think I really honed, I've always enjoyed people. I've always been an interpersonal kind of individual. My personality bodes well for it. My dad was in sales, so I was sort of around it in that sense too. But I think, you know, working in restaurants, an environment where it's fast paced, and I used to always joke and say like, I'm a chameleon. I have to adapt to every guest every employee, and it's constant. And I want to match and in many ways mirror where they're at, what they need, et cetera, so that they feel the empathy you described and a lot of the experience that we're talking about. And so what's interesting is that the fundamentals of sales have carried through with me for a long time. I think in each organization, again, starting in restaurants, going into, I've been in tech for a few years and then um, back into restaurants. And then, you know, at this point, obviously the last almost 10 years in technology again, each of those different experiences required a different version of myself in many ways. So a different version of selling. I think when you're at, especially younger in your career, when you're at businesses, you know, and in a space where it's not traditional sales, you do get a lot more of the experience you're describing, where it feels a little kind of slippery and slick and, you know, you're wearing an oversized white press shirt and a you know, kind of fat tie kind of thing. I think the other end of the spectrum is there's organizations that truly respect it and understand that it's the, in many ways, lifeblood of the business. It's really what feeds the organization's growth. Company like HubSpot, obviously, it's very different. It's where I'm at now. You know, we prioritize our sales team and really respect and appreciate it. And it's part of why I joined, somehow it's been almost eight years, but why I joined here so long ago was that I knew that it was some of the best, most exceptional customer first sales CS, you know, frontline teams really in the world at that time and certainly is still today, but definitely in my backyard. Like I was outside of Boston and so it made sense to go and work there. The culture was we always were customer first, which meant that it was sales and CS and frontline teams first. And so there was an appreciation for the energy and effort that went into it. I think culturally it varies based off of the day, the week, the month, right? So if you think about like looking at what we all as a collective society have been through in the last three, four years with the pandemic and, and the war in Ukraine and stuff that's going on, those environmental and political concepts shift our focus in the way that we perceive sales in general. Because if we're in a position where we feel like we're being sold to and we're not looking for that, it's a very different reception. You, know, you don't receive it as well versus I always talk about and think about like the intersection of value. And what I should be able to do is connect the context for what you need, what you're trying to accomplish, however you want to think about it, to the value that I can deliver. And if I'm doing that, you shouldn't feel sold to. You should feel connected with. You should feel empathized and understood. And so I think 
to kind of land the plane on this. Ultimately, culturally, if you work in organizations where leadership and your peers understand that sales is not about pushing, but about presenting value and about you know, discovery in terms of truly trying to understand by actively listening and being very intentional what your customer, potential customer needs, and then bringing your value to that intersection of need. If you can do that, then I think the organizations that have adopted that type of methodology are the ones where it feels more natural, to your point. I love that. Yep. And, you know, I find that this has not been something new, but it's finally kind of making it mainstream to understand like, oh, that's what the successful organizations have been doing all along. And so all of those caricatures like the Wolf of Wall Street are just falling left and right because people don't want to be sold to that way. They can go and make a cash grab, but they don't sustain for a long time. And when you're seeing the success like HubSpot, as you've said, you know, being customer centric just seems so obvious. And now at least it's becoming mainstream, even in the literature and the things that are coming out and this thought leadership that's going out is promoting specifically that. So definitely a positive trend. I'd be curious to know. So I had this interesting journey. I worked for Mindvalley, which was in personal growth for uh, eight years myself. And, you know, as you said earlier, once you learn sales, you can do anything. And most people would say, hey, if you can do anything, you might as well be an entrepreneur. Yet here you are, you're an amazing person at sales. You could probably be doing anything. What are the reasons why someone who's great at sales would decide to join an organization as opposed to go out and be an entrepreneur like what all the marketing seems to suggest is the dream job to get? I think we're a little bit if I just sort of generalize here as a society, obsessed with the idea of independence to an extreme, I have this, maybe it's just an observation, maybe it's an opinion, we'll call it an opinion, where you know I went to public school. I went to traditional education public school. I went to an art school in Florida to finish my education. I don't have anything special in terms of my background. But what I realized as I got further into my career is that while my peers graduated college with I like to use this analogy of a Lego mat, right? Everyone knows what Legos are, kind of universal in that sense. The green mat that came with like the house that you were gonna build or the car or whatever, that like kind of foundation, if you will, that's really where folks leave primary education. And then some folks have four six by six blue blocks stacked up. Those are the folks that specialized in marketing or you know business or, or they wanna be lawyers or doctors, the, the specialists. I didn't come out with that. I had this sort of like hodgepodge of different bricks, different Legos on my mat. And over the first couple of years of my career, I started to get better at bringing those together and building more of a pyramid than a tower. And I think fundamentally, when you look at the kind of landscape, if you will, of where opportunity sits, the people that specialize do it because we've been told for a majority of our lives that you should do that. You go to college, you get a degree, and you go and focus on whatever that degree is in terms of your career. I think what's happened and is happening more now is that over the last, you know, call it seven to 10 years or so, people are waking up to the fact or maybe becoming more interested in the idea of not following that path. Traditional education, in particular in the United States, was built on the concept of producing worker bees. It was an industrial revolution need and we did it because we needed to build factory workers and skilled laborers and folks that could go and fulfill the jobs that were necessary for us to build the society that we have. I sound like I'm sort of pontificating, but research shows that that's actually true. What's fascinating is you fast forward to today, the people with natural skills, great salesperson, great at customer service, et cetera, are still being told to go and learn some sort of a vertical. And that makes sense. I don't judge that. I myself went that path. But I think what you're seeing more of is that when they leave that primary education opportunity, they realize that because of the way that the infrastructure of the world has evolved, technology gives you access to education, to people, to travel, et cetera, that being a bit more free and a little bit more flexible is the way, right? People are more and more interested in that conceptually as a way of living. And so I think if you sort of look at the big picture at the end of the day here, that fundamentally, when we know that we are good at something, we are told by everyone else to go and do it. And I think when you're in sales, 
it's a great path to make a lot of money, right? I mean, if you get into the right organization, you can make more money than a CEO in many ways. I, I have peers that have done that. I've come close to doing it. And I think in that context, what's really fascinating is you can make a mountain of money, you can deliver great value, you can have a great job and be rewarded, but not own the responsibility of the organizational weight. And I think if you really start to look at the individuals that take on CEO roles, I do think at its core, being a CEO entrepreneur, somebody who's going to build an organization, being a salesperson in that personality does bode well for it. You're either super technical, like a CTO personality, or you're a CEO, which usually business and sales centric, but not everybody wants to go and build something. And what's fascinating is I've actually myself been given that feedback quite a bit. Barrett, why don't you just go and, and start something? You'd be great at this. You have such a business acumen and sales skills, everything else you described. I'm, for listeners sake, context, I'm 38 years old. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. You know, I've got a life in that sense. I would love to go and be an entrepreneur, but I don't have, at this stage of my life, the kind of intestinal fortitude, the gut strength to go and take that risk. Maybe if I was younger, I had a different perspective perhaps. But what I enjoy is the ability to think about someday, and I will someday, I'm open about this, leave HubSpot, going somewhere where they've started something already. And so if I'll kind of, again, land the plane for you, but I think about business or an organizational structure in three different stages, building, growing, and scaling, building their go-to-market, growing their kind of business, if you will, and scaling their opportunity. I know that I'm not a building stage guy initially. I don't love to ideate in the beginning as much as I think my peers do. And so, you know, if I think about the traditional salesperson, they tend to fit in late stage build through grow. And then some of the ones that enjoy the kind of bigger picture are more of the scale stage. Very rarely do you find folks I think that are, and again, typically it's like making a lot of money and wanting to give that up to go and build something from scratch. I really appreciate that because again, I think I want to take away the singular focus on the only way to have success is to be an entrepreneur and everything else is you're a corporate slave. And I think that's far from the reality of the world, especially as companies are maturing, are creating cultures that are supporting the kind of lifestyles and being financially rewarding. As you've seen what you've experienced, I've experienced it in myself. And I think I want to make sure that for a lot of people, you know, I've seen the path of entrepreneurship to be chosen before the skill sets get to be developed. And I often encourage a lot of my listeners saying, hey, if sales is not a skill you've developed, which I do think is one of the most essential skills to develop to have success in any area, find an organization where you can have that rapid feedback loop and development cycle to build that kind of resilience that is necessary to sell. I don't want to have people shy away from being part of an organization to do that kind of activity. I've done telephone sales in a real estate organization that allowed me to have high volume. I see you worked in restaurants, which allowed you to interact with so many customers. And I've noticed a lot of people that are in the tech world, you would probably say the product focus or tech focus that are so about their idea, but never speaking to anyone. And it's being built in a vacuum. And then when they go to present it to someone, there's like an awkwardness or at least this lack of natural understanding of what are you truly trying to solve for those people? And I think that's developed through being exposed to the people. And I think organizations provide that testing ground to do so. And I would say you're doing very well. And that's awesome that you get to do these opportunities within an organization. I can relate. I'm very much similar to you. And that's why I chose to be a part of an organization for so long, because it allowed me to have that space to do even more. Now, we did kick off talking about how we need to sell when it comes to things that aren't just a product or service being sold to clients. And I know you're doing a ton of work when it comes to partners, and I'd love to expand on that. Most of us are only looking at the sales vertical when it comes to that value exchange. I'd be curious to know, what are the biggest missed opportunities that people would have if they're not looking at how to develop the same kind of sales methodology when it comes to recruiting partners or recruiting talent? It's interesting. I think there's this kind of line in the sand moment and you hear it a lot, which is that like sales is over here and 
recruitings over there, or you've got, you know, partnerships over here and sales over there. And I think to your point earlier on, the skill set, the ability to go and sell, it's not about the used car salesperson, you know, buy my whatever. It really is about mutual value. And so when I talk to folks about partnerships in particular, there's a lot of organizations I've spoke with, heads of partnerships, CROs, et cetera. And they say like, well, we want to work with these partners because they're going to help us to sell more of our software and work with these partners because they're going to help us to keep our customers around longer. And I think that there's a kind of flip it on its head moment there where you have to really refocus on the ideology of, but what do they get from you? And so if I think about why and really how sales comes into the model and the dynamic when it comes to partnerships is that, you know, ideally you should be looking for businesses that fit into your customer's need set. So the sales part of it becomes more of a value presentation, more of an opportunistic, we see this thing happening, we know you can help us do it. Even, you know, the for kind of color's sake, but the HubSpot story really quickly. Early days at HubSpot, there's this guy named Pete, I'll leave it at that, who made an observation that some of our most successful customers were working with marketing agencies. So he went and talked to those agencies. You know, that seems like a novel concept, but in terms of execution, it's brilliant. He went and had a conversation with the folks that were delivering value to our customers using our platform. They were literally using our tools to make our customers more successful. And he said, what are you doing? And they said, exactly what I just said, you know, we're making your customers more successful. And oh, by the way, helps us deliver better margins for our business, helps us deliver more effective ROI. We get value from your platform as well. And what's fascinating about that is there really isn't a sale, it's just a presentation. Hey, we can work with you to make your business better by having you build a business practice around our platform. It will help you go to market that way. And so I think conceptually, you know, partnerships as a whole, when you anchor in it, really is about going to market together, which means you're going to co-sell the value, the opportunity, the way that your customers intersect with your brand. And so ultimately, these partnerships that you're developing, whether they are co-selling, reselling, co-servicing, you know, co-marketing, whatever the dynamic might be, integrations, et cetera, ultimately comes down to the intersection of value, which I've said several times. And ultimately from that, you should extract the ability to say, well, we have to go and sell that value to somebody. And so you have to have mutual values, you have to have a mutual go-to-market, you have to work together towards that outcome. And so, you know, at its core, I think that to me is the most really natural and raw intersection of sales. Sales is what you described just, you know, a couple of minutes ago, Jason, in terms of talking to your customers. The people that own your customer trust are likely the businesses that you're going to partner with, and especially initially, right, as you go to market in the beginning. And then as you scale your organization, you should be finding more and more opportunities for where your customers value and your customers trust is owned by another business and working in a way to engage them to borrow that add something to it and deliver it back through that partnership and all of those intersections those conversations those relationships come inherently with this little hint of sales kind of sprinkled on top like salt or pepper because you're trying to position value be transparent and i think the term sales is overblown into this like practiced rehearsed you know what's the line what's the pitch it's not it's about this interpersonal connection, this conversation, again, fundamentally though, where you're sharing how you as an organization can help a customer and subsequently a partner of that customer go and grow better. Hmm. I find it very interesting when you look into sales, people are just like, yeah, I, you know, I don't know those scripts. I don't know how to close. And that seems to be where people will assume that that's where you have to put all of the focus. And what I love from your story here is this outreach of speaking to people. I think that's one of the most simple yet underutilized and underappreciated activities. I have this one moment, I was doing a product launch within this personal growth industry. It was a big online launch and it was a product and this is definitely not related to anything technology. So entertain this for a while. It was energy healing sessions, right? 
And for myself, not something that I wanted to experience. I went to test it out and I was like, okay, that's cool, but it didn't do much for me. And what I realized is like, oh my God, it's not about me. It's about the customers that actually want to buy this. So I went and found all the customers that I bought in the past and just set up phone conversations. And it was so amazing to hear what transformation it did for them. It got me motivated to sell it because I was like, oh my God, look what it did for these people. And I was even able to pull up some case studies of transformations from them that I could use in the marketing collateral. And most people would say, just send out a survey and you'll get some of the data. But I thought it was something different about real conversations. And I'd love to know from your perspective, like, do you find that we should be trying to automate customer feedback loops as much as possible? Or do you still see value in the tangible one-on-one conversations? I think it's both. I think it'd be intentional. I mean, the way people buy and sell and experience brands is changing. It's been changing for years, but I think it's accelerating. Everyone wants to talk about AI, right? I think everyone wants to talk about how technology is accelerating it. But at its core, we're talking about people doing things for each other. Like if you go back to the earliest, you know, hunter-gatherer days, right? Like when we were just a basic species on this planet, we traded. I gathered some fruit from the trees. You caught two fish from the river. I'll give you some fruit. You give me a fish. We both eat. We move on with our lives and continue to exist. And I think if you fast forward to today, it's no different. It's inflated industry and there's layers to it and it's all about commerce and whatnot. But fundamentally, we're talking about, I have something you need. You have something I need. You have money. I have product. Let's exchange for each other. I think the way that you get to that comfortability comes from talking and comes from listening first. So it's really easy to go to market and say, I know what my customers need. I built something that's awesome. It's going to flip and change the world. Let's go. Those are the people I think that you know history would show have probably failed. And that's okay, but have failed first. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think if you go to market and say, let me test. You know, I know generally speaking who my ICP is, my ideal customer. I have an idea and go and reach out to them. Even the companies that I advise that are early, I do a lot of early stage advisory work. And you know, they're always like, well, what do I do? How do I go sell this? And I'm like, well, that's not the wrong, that's the wrong question. That's, don't start there. Start off with who are my potential customers and go paying them on LinkedIn or send them an email or go to the trade show, whatever your format is, wherever they are and spend time and just say, hey, I did this thing. I think it helps people like you. What do you think? And then shut your mouth, say nothing, hit mute on the receiver. But I mean, fundamentally, you know, the thing that's important though is that you have to go and listen first. And so I do think the customer feedback loop is imperative. Frankly, if you're not measuring your customers and listening to them, it's kind of silly. There's a company I advise called Apex that does some really awesome work. They call it Apex Score around customer behavioral insights. You know, whatever solution that you use, whether it's NPS or something more advanced and high quality like Apex, listen, experience, and then go and read and consume. It's really easy to generalize. And then you are truly selling at that point because you're trying to force something versus the intersection of values I've described it. If you listen to what your customers are saying and your potential customers are saying, that's closed loss reports, that's certainly closed one reports, and then that's your actual customer feedback, whatever loop you build there, and then go and have these conversations, standardize them, measure them consistently, revisit them once a quarter, twice a year, whatever it is, that trend analysis will make you far better at solving for your customer and it will remove that element of, you know, hey, you want to buy a car? That kind of like attitude of just jamming something in someone's face. That is definitely refreshing. I'm glad it's a combination of both. And again, as this new technology is coming out, I think that there's a craving for the humanistic kind of approach to sales and conversations and just having, you know, real genuine connection with a soul because you've already hinted to the AI revolution and stuff. And I'd be curious to know in your industry, how is it being received? The fact that AI seems to be having conversations everywhere. And do you think it's adding or taking away from the human element of selling? That's such an interesting question. So first off, AI, if you're listening, I think you're great. Don't take over the world. Like <laughs> we're all your friends. It's interesting because I think 
if you look at the trend, there's technology and technologists, the people that are really close to this, have said things like, everyone take a deep breath. Like it's really easy to get amped up about new technology. I get that. We've done it countless times in my life. I remember I grew up before there was tech everywhere. I grew up without a cell phone until I was 16 and bought a car. I had, you know, early game systems, but they were rudimentary, not on the internet, et cetera. Now I can connect with anybody in the world and play a video game in five minutes. So I think the thing that's important to recognize is that, you know, AI and the advancement of technology can, and I hopefully will be used for good. I could see a world in which AI, you know, there's companies like Jasper and Chorus, and there's a bunch of them that are taking AI and saying, let's make it applicable to the way that we start the process. So like, let's help you write really good content. Let's, there's one called Humantic that like consumes their LinkedIn profile and a bunch of their social media. And then it consumes your content. So it writes in your voice and it crafts the sales message for you. That's interesting. Like that's to me, a really good use of AI. I don't see AI replacing people anytime soon. There's a lot of buzz like in the sales space, CS space of like, oh, it's going to take my job. I think hopefully, and I believe this, it will make your job easier, more effective, your own sort of standardization in terms of at an organizational level, you know, ensuring that you get better time to value from a new hire. Like imagine your BDR starts tomorrow, your sales rep starts tomorrow. And instead of taking six months, nine months, a year to ramp into fully productive, fully ramped individual, it's like 30 days. Like they show up, they get their foundational training. The AI starts to learn their voice in the first two weeks because they're writing emails and maybe you consume their LinkedIn or whatever else it is, or you write some sort of a prompt. I mean, that would be fascinating, right? You could have an intake process that consumes a personality of a, of a new hire. This is a new idea right here. We're going to start a company. And you know, it immediately spits out like seven different email templates because it knows your ICP. And then all of a sudden it can consume, you know, that personality and write in their voice. And so I think AI becomes a solution that's a part of the bigger tool set for the time being. I do see a world, and it's probably a couple of years away at this point, but I do see a world where, you know, some of the most frontline interactions are AI centric, frankly, because it allows the scalability in the tech industry to continue. There's a breaking point there. Like I do think to your point, something with soul makes a big difference and a personality and human element. But, you know, just the other day, I saw a buddy of mine's big into AI, so this is relevant. And he had posted about this woman who, I think she's an influencer or whatever it is. She's got a big following. She allowed an AI model to train on her entire video base, so all of her audio and, and facial content. And it created a digital version of her. And then she sells it for a dollar a minute to be like your friend or your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever it is. And it's her personality. And she made $75,000 in the first week. And like that is fascinating. That I think is where all of a sudden you can monetize the scalability of who you are. I do think, to go back to your very earlier question around entrepreneurship, I think there's a world where you see more salespeople over the next 10 years become IC, self-developed, you know, smallpreneurs, if you will, where they're not building, you know, $7 billion exit companies, but they're building something really remarkable and sustainable because AI allows them to augment and really capitalize on the spreading, the growth, the reach of their skill set. Nice. I like that. And I've actually been anticipating a very similar trend. So one of the things I've been exploring is I feel as a sales representative or someone that speaks about sales, the kind of personal brand, the values I advocate, I can imagine myself being a sales bot for hire that companies can be like, oh yeah, we'd like a Jason that comes and sells for us because we know what his values are. We know what his tone is and we want to associate with that brand. And I see our personal brands being something that's going to be one of the last bastions of value. And so I think seeing someone like you, you have your presence, you have your brand and you're putting yourself out there. I think those are some of the key activities that keep that soul to be alive in the process. I'm super fascinated with that technology trend and I'm of a similar age of you. And I remember 
that to be effective in sales, you had to use some really manual processes and, you know, 50 to 90% of your job as a sales rep was actually a lot of data entry. And again, I will make a plug without being compensated here, but I remember when HubSpot came to my radar and I was like, wow, it's doing a ton of the stuff so fast and intuitive that I don't need to double work. I always say I'm the laziest person ever. And when I see that I need to type something one place and then copy paste it again, I'm like, I have this inner pain of discomfort from wasted effort. And this is where I'm seeing the beauty of technology enable salespeople to become more human because we have less of these administrative steps that need to be done. They get really done well that empower us to be better at being human. Which brings me to the question that I love asking everyone that comes on the show, which is being on the Selling with Love podcast, what does selling with love mean to you? Brilliant question. You know, I think at its core for me, it's empathy. It's compassion. It's being intentional around the way you communicate with others. When I, I like stories, obviously. So when I joined HubSpot, I joined and did very well in my first six months, better than some of my peers, better than some folks who have been here for a long time. And I remember folks saying, what are you doing different? And I now I look back and I say, like, it was one part ego. It's one part chip on my shoulder. I got to prove myself, right? But I think it was also, I had been around marketing agencies early in my career. I had a design degree. So I had spent time in the work that they do. And when I got on the phone with these you know heads of, 25 to 50 person agencies and said, you know, we're not going to change who you are and help you add value to your customer's experience, make your business a little more profitable, make you more effective. What I think back on, you know, in terms of what I was doing, selling with love. I really cared about my customer and I believed that HubSpot fundamentally could change their life. And it did for a lot of the folks that I worked with. And they've gone on to be very successful entrepreneurs and help thousands of customers, you know, grow better, like the mission that we put out in the world states. But it's because I really believed in what we were doing. And when I think about selling with love, it means that you don't just sell for the sake of a paycheck. You do it because you believe in your product, your service. You believe in the thing that you're trying to deliver to the market that it inherently has value. And I don't think we all get to do that. I mean, to be really clear, like I think for a lot of folks, sales is a means to an end and I can appreciate that and it provides for you and your family. That's great. I think some of us have this really unique special opportunity to go and be the best version of ourselves because we listen, because we empathize, because we work with our customers in a way that makes them feel understood because they are understood. And ultimately to me, that's what selling with love means. It's about listening, understanding, and just really aligning to the way your customers want to work with your business. Barrett, this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I have to say my biggest takeaway that I want to have everybody remember from this conversation is understanding this concept of the intersection of value. And that is what your job is when you go to sell, whether that's selling that product or service, whether it's understanding someone that wants to work within your organization, or you want to have a partner work with you alongside your organization, whether that's as an affiliate or any kind of technology partner, is having conversations where you're trying to find that intersection doesn't make it feel like a pushy sale. It makes it seem like two people are being very human and trying to find a way that everybody wins. Barrett, what are the ways that people can connect with you, discover more from you, aside from the work that you do at HubSpot? Yeah, I appreciate that. So on LinkedIn, I try and post every week. I've been pretty darn good about it. Usually it's something around partnerships. That's really the focus of what my content is all about. And then I have my own show called Outcomes. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, and I'm on obviously my LinkedIn as well. I talk to folks that are in partnerships. Really, it's about connecting with the operators that have been there, done the work, and have a story to tell about it. It's quick. It's actionable. I do talk about sales a little bit too, so there's some overlap there. But really, I'm a partnerships guy. And you know, I would say if you ever have a question about certainly that, my experience at HubSpot or anything, feel free to connect. I always love new conversations, new people. Barrett, much thanks for coming on the show. And for everybody else, keep tuning in, go and connect with Barrett, send him some love if you heard of him on this show. And of course, if you're going out there, keep selling with love. 
I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.